Welcome to episode 21 of Invest and Scale. This is your host, Gabriel Murillo. And in today's episode, we have Russell Barajona. And we have a great conversation about not only his vision for acquiring this last business they acquire, but also through the past few years, he has discovered how important it is, how critical it is to base your business around your life and not the other way around. So Russell, he published a book, One Life to Lead. And in that book, he has a framework for organizing your life and plan your life. And in this episode, I try my best to find the parallels between his framework in this book and also the journey of buying a business. So we go through the difference between stories and facts and how to plan out and go backwards when you're trying to set up a goal, energy gains and energy drains, and really neutralizing or eliminating entropy in your life. So a lot of really good stuff in here in this episode. Russell has background in private equity and now he just acquired an accounting firm. He's, he's one of the partners at Stride and enjoy this episode. Hey, Russell, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Gabriel. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I was just telling you a few seconds ago about how I'm becoming a fan of your work already without even meeting you before. So excited <laughs> to have you in the show. And it sounds like you have a pretty extensive experience in, in, in business in general. But of course, this show is about buying and selling businesses. It looks like you bought a business recently. So love to get started by just sharing a little bit of that particular experience, like what made you decide wanting to buy a business. And you know, before you buy a business, what were you doing before of that to say, yeah, I want to get into this stuff? Yeah, sure. Okay. Let me make this somewhat concise. Yes. About three and a half years ago, I, I bought a company with a couple of business partners. We today own an outsourced back office, bookkeeping, accounting, and fractional CFO services firm. It's called Stride Services. Uh, our desire to want to buy the business was really born out of a desire to not to want to get into a line of business where we did not have to prove product market fit. So let me explain that distinction. Historically, the businesses that we had run or been a part of had been more traditional venture-backed businesses, technology ideas or disruptive ideas for which the market hadn't fully realized the the acceptance of yet. And so we had to raise a bunch of money from, from venture capitalists. And that's pretty exhausting because you end up having this other customer, which is your, your investors. So we got kind of excited about this idea of, hey, let's find a business where we believe we could have an outsized impact that's small enough that we can fund ourselves, or we can talk about alternative forms of financing like an SBA loan, et cetera, and then own that business without that third customer of investors and really drive the demonstration of how we add value to a business that people already know and understand, outsourced bookkeeping accounting. So that was really the genesis of why we were excited to just buy, the, buy a business. That business is interesting because really the future of, of outsourcing is more and more widely accepted than ever be before. Some of that is driven by the, the pandemic and recognizing that, boy, you can do a lot without having to have people in your office. So that, that's certainly number one. And the second was that we wanted to be in a business where we could help business leaders spend their time doing that which they started the business 
to do, which was make an impact usually around driving growth and driving revenue, not back office bookkeeping accounting. Before buying Stride, immediately before buying Stride, my family had just made a decision to move abroad for a year. So we ended up acquiring this business while my family and I were living in Costa Rica, which is its own other story. But prior to that, for the prior 15 years, I had run two separate healthcare businesses, but my formal training originally was in corporate finance and investment banking in New York. Excellent. No, that's exciting. I definitely want to touch on on the Costa Rica story because there's there's a lot of uh, relevant information, especially, you know, uh, for the people listening. Um, Russell is the author of One Life to Lead. I download the Kindle version. Really, really fun. Very well-structured book. So highly recommend that. Very practical exercises as well. But yeah, in terms of, of your professional background, just to get more, more of that before we dive into acquisition. So you have this very diverse experience in different type of business models. And it sounds like you notice, okay, this is a Courtney, there's product market fit, but what is specifically attracted you to buying a business? And outside of all the other opportunities that you could do right now, you could work for another company, a private equity, you could do all this stuff, like why you wanted to buy a small business? Freedom. Freedom. Yes. I, that, that's really what it was. Some of it was driven by this imperative that living abroad at the time, I needed or wanted to do something that would give me geographic independence, the ability to run a business or have a, a machine of economic viability independent of where I lived. And so, yeah, like buying a business is the the path to freedom and freedom isn't just economic freedom it's it's your how you want to build a culture of your family and your life like it means a lot different things to different people so i don't want to just make it about about money it's also one of the hardest things anybody can do because it is fraught with uncertainty and peril and up and downs and that moment that you thought you were unlocking this path to freedom, you get walloped by, I don't know, like a pandemic or something. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I thought this was my path to freedom. But now I feel totally enclosed in this self-imposed cage and I'm scared. And so it, it's this teaching journey that is really rich if you're willing to acknowledge it for what it is here to present you. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think a lot of the people that start businesses, they want that freedom, like you said, then operations, then getting the way and many other challenges getting the way of that particular freedom. But, you know, that's part of the game. And and I wouldn't change it for anything else. And, you know, I agree with you. And now in terms of like where you say freedom, a lot of the people that are, you know, in this community, self-search self community, they're buying businesses with their own kind of, you know, finances or access to, to banking or a different program, SBA, you name it. This case, you mentioned partners. And I'm curious to know, like typically people are wanting to do this more by themselves. I'm more on the ball. Like I want to have partners. Like uh, in the past, I worked solo and that wasn't, it felt like freedom, but it felt also very scary and it, that, it was not fun. Now I'm trying to change that. So I'm curious to know, like in terms of your partners, are they active partners or working in the business or what does that look like? One of my partners is active today with me. The other two are not. Here's what I would say about 
partners, or maybe here's what I would say about being that entrepreneur that wants to buy the business and then figuring out how and who you surround yourself. So the first is we spent a lot of time, we being my, my, my two partners, spent a lot of time up front establishing our shared principles, which is how are we going to conduct ourselves as human beings as we navigate through this journey together? Conduct ourselves as human beings is, is as much about, well, what are our areas of responsibility going to be? Who's going to do and own what and make that as clear as possible? And then maybe more important, how are we going to guide our decision-making based on some agreed set of principles or the code, your code, so that we can build something for which the three of us are stronger together and build velocity versus what often happens with partners Drama gets introduced because people have different needs, interests, can't communicate as effectively as they'd like. So ground in principles, biggest, biggest piece of advice I could give. Now, if you're going to be that sole entrepreneur that says, eh, I don't really know if I want partners, but I definitely want to be surrounded by a group of entrepreneurs that can help me drive my decision-making and drive my growth, I'd highly recommend organizations like EO, which is the entrepreneurs organization for which I've been a member for many, many years, that is purpose-built to bring entrepreneurs in a city together to learn and grow from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm looking at here your book and and you know, you have this framework for designing your, your life, but I'm seeing like while you're talking about this business, it sounds like you did the same for this decision of buying a business. So we'll get into that. Like you have, you know, the, the first step is like, you know, ground stores with facts and then establish your principles and then, you know, harness your energy from the environment. So like I can tell from an acquisition perspective and buying a business, like how all of these elements are critical. So maybe what we can do like that, you know, down, down the road in the episode, we can go through it, but I would love, I don't want to miss the opportunity to hear about your decision to move to Port, uh, Costa Rica and yeah, what was your experience? It sounds like you're in Seattle. Are you back to Seattle, leaving in Seattle now? Yeah, yeah, back okay. back to Seattle now. The impetus for that really began on a snowy, cold day in 20, late 2016 when my, or was it 2017? Oh, maybe it was 2017, yeah. When my, my wife and I were driving back from a ski trip in Oregon and we had our two small kids in the back of the car and I was listening to this Tony Robbins podcast. It was three steps to a breakthrough and Tony Robbins said something that caused me to pause and turn down the radio and look to my wife in this slightly cynical tone and say, yeah, Melissa is her name. Yeah, Melissa, why haven't we talked about where we're going to be in 10 years in this like kind of critical criticizing manner. And at the time I was running this startup and it was going through its ups and downs and it was stressful and all that entrepreneurship mumbo jumbo. And she said, well, that's because it's never really been about us. It's always been about mm -hmm. you. And we've just been along for the ride, which, which hit me actually. It was a moment. It hit me really hard, but it is a very common refrain in entrepreneurial circles that the journey of the entrepreneur is fairly fairly egocentric, like you're all in on this thing that you're trying to build and you feel like it is the definition of your life and who you are. And if it doesn't succeed, then you're not succeeding. 
So if it fails, you're a failure. And so you just maniacally focus on the business. And what she said was basically like, yeah, that's what you took us on this journey to, to do. And at that moment, it really kicked off a series of conversations around what it meant to build a fence around this relationship as the core thing that's the most important in my, in my life and define my life not by necessarily the business that I run, but by the life I want to create. And it was within that milieu that we made this joint decision to follow a passion pursuit we talked about for a decade was to create an abroad experience for our for our kids. And I won't bore you with all the details of why we decided Costa Rica. Well, we decided Costa Rica because it was, it was, there's, the there's nothing boring about that, that story. It, Russell, oh, that Costa okay. Rica is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in, in, in that month when we were, when we were harnessing the gumption to make a big life decision, the cover of national geographic was titled the happiest places on earth. And Costa Rica was on the cover and it was sitting on our coffee room table. And we're like, that there, like, let's go there. And so we harnessed the energy and made that decision as a, as a family and just went for it. But it wasn't one of those, and I, this is important for your listeners. It wasn't one of those, oh, I just had a great exit of my business. And now we're going to sit on the beach for a year. That, that wasn't it at all. I had sold my business. It wasn't like a particularly great outcome. It was fine, but it wasn't one of those where, oh, I, I'm, I, I don't need to work or I don't want to work. So we moved to San Jose. We moved to the city. I needed to find what I was going to do next. We put our kids in school and we lived our life, but we did it on our terms. And when we did that, like the universe applauded our decision to do something where we were in charge, where we were the designers, rather than most of what my professional life had felt like, which is, oh, I'm kind of doing this because this is what I'm supposed to do. But didn't necessarily feel like it was mapping to where I get the greatest amount of energy. And that changed things. Mm -hmm. That that's what I say. It, you really were like, why is this guy telling me he's a fan? It's just because the life design. Number one, my my fiance now two weeks ago, three weeks ago we got engaged, and but so I'm I'm getting used to calling her fiance because I always say girlfriend. So, but she's a graphic designer, and I used to be a web designer. And in your book, you talk about life design and how beautiful is that. And I can tell for people listening here, when you are planning and you're in the search path you're planning to a business, you get an opportunity to design that. Like, of course, you know, designing the search itself, the size of the business and the target location and the size, all of that is cool. But how cool would it be to be intentional? Like you're saying, Russell, and like you share in the book, a framework to do that. So it'd be very interesting that you're connecting this whole journey of being in charge and like taking and designing with, like buying a business, I'm curious now with you, you took this step and, and buying a business, is the personal identity still a challenge or were you able to find a distinction between your professional identity? Meaning like you say specifically to, to, to ask the question, you're saying like in, in terms of identity, you're talking about identity, like startup people, it's all about what you do and how you do it. If it fails, whatever. But now when you're buying a business, it's if you don't make the, the right shift, it can be 20 times more because for some of the people like, you know, 
I myself, I got into an SBA uh, loan. So there's a lot of stakes involved. And it's even more tangent that kind of fear potentially, right? But anyways, the question about identity, you feel like now that you took that chance, is your identity evolved with that? Or are you finding any insights in there? Lots of insights. To answer your question, it's still a struggle. Like that's the work. There's no, I have not been able to convince myself that, oh, I've figured it out. I figured it out. And Gabriel, now you can too. That is so not it. Because think about it. You can never anticipate every circumstance that is going to come at you in your life. You just got engaged. You just bought a business. You're going to get married. You're going to have some challenges. You're going to have some ups. You're going to have some downs. This deal that you thought you were going to do didn't work out. You signed a customer that's a complete nightmare. This person sued you. This right, like You just can't anticipate it. What you can do is control how you respond, how you behave when all of these circumstances are introducing themselves in your life. And so to answer your question, it's, le it's less about, oh, am I on top of this and I am somehow kind of enlightened? No. Am I more aware of the, the way I react and the story that I tell myself in my head, which is just in my head, how that impacts how things are going to unfold? Does it have me pause and work through my own work in order to approach that problem in a way that is more aligned with the way that I want to live my life? Absolutely. Is it still hard? 100%. Because we're human beings. And so long as you are a human, you have this ego devil that is constantly trying to become more prominent inside of you. And that drives fear and greed. It's the work. Yes. I love it. No, thank you for that. I, I, I'm finding myself in this you know, conversation in the podcast, just talking a whole lot more about this that just purely numbers and figures, which all of those are relevant and important when deal making and buying business. But ultimately after you buy it, you're gonna find nothing else but what you just mentioned, like challenges and excitement and fears. And I, I heard a new word for, for people listening, buka, it's volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So it's a, it's a whole thing and like, wow, that's exactly what's happening in the economy. It's about to collapse or not. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. But it's that in the business buying arena, that's what's happening. So yeah, like you mentioned, it's, it's I'm glad to hear. I, th I thought for a second you were going to say, I figured it out. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I, I understand like it's, a, it's an evolving process. I'm glad you're kind of in the path as well and excited to hear. So now shifting gears to your book again, it's not a business buying book, but I can tell there's a friend where there. So I'm just, just for the sake of the fun exercise, if we go through your five steps for people listening, check out the book, download it on, on Kindle, super practical and short and sweet. Step one is ground stores with facts. What was the fact that you saw on buying a business for you to say, yes, this is the right thing? I think you already covered a little bit of like why buying a business, but most, more specifically, is it, was, was there a size of business that you're like, all right, this is a fact with this move, we can do X, Y, C or not? Sure. There's 
probably a bit of revisionist history here because we bought the business three and a half years ago. I made certain assumptions about the business that didn't entirely pan out, as will everybody that's listening to this podcast. There is absolutely no way you will know what you acquired until you have signed a check. As we used to say in the venture business, you don't know what you invested in until you go to the first board meeting because there's always asymmetry of information. That is a fact. For us, there, yeah, there was a size of business and the size of business that we were looking to acquire was one in which we could self-fund that business. And so it needed to be at a size where we weren't going to, where we didn't want to go and raise outside capital. We really wanted to, to determine our destinies. That was definitely a part of it. At the time that we bought it, I was open to the possibility of possibilities. I was I had just moved to Costa Rica. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was coaching some entrepreneurs and I still do some coaching today. And so this was a little bit of the universe inviting me to this opportunity to participate. I didn't have to take that leap. I I elected to, but I want to just acknowledge that had I not made the decision to change the trajectory of my life and design my life with my family in a way that was going to suit the way we wanted to live, this opportunity never would have, have presented itself. And so maybe a little bit, a little bit cosmic. Sometimes when we, are, we try to control the universe a little too much, that next great opportunity doesn't present itself because the, the universe doesn't know how to to connect with you. I, it sounds a little woo-woo, but I, I don't know. I think there's something to that. And that's, that, were the, that was the circumstances upon which this opportunity arose. Yeah, it makes sense. And it, it was, you say, three years ago, so right before the pandemic. Is that right? No, it was, uh, well, almost four years ago, I'm sorry, toward the end of 2018, third quarter of 2018. Okay. So it's a service-based business. And what is it, what, what exactly do you guys do yeah. for the audience? What's the kind of oh, more detail? You. So we serve about 100 clients around the United States providing day-to-day -day outsourced bookkeeping and accounting. So we work primarily with professional service companies. So think uh, marketing agencies or outsourced IT service firms or consulting firms. And we are the partner that we do your invoicing, we pay your bills, we process your payroll, we close your monthly books. Essentially, we provide you with the financial data to help you make better business decisions. We then layered on a fractional CFO service to the business. So that strategic piece of having a senior level finance professional, plus the investment that we've made in insights and analytics to give our clients a glanceable view of the key metrics that they wanna manage, has really defined the way that we differentiate ourselves in the market. Most of our clients are between one and a half to five million in revenue, eh, maybe seven million in revenue. So that's probably fits the zone of, of many of your, your listeners. And the way that I would think about us is we are essentially your accounting team or your accounting department. We have about 40 employees in the business, about 25 of them operate out of the Philippines today and run or own the day-to-day the -day bookkeeping transactional work. And then our team in the United States are more senior level strategic professionals. So in, in terms of the question, like what's a fact like in the step one of your book, the fact that, like you mentioned, the struggle is real when it comes to clear financials for small businesses there is all over. And I actually went through that buying this business, understanding the difference between a CFO, what a controller does, what a CPA does, what a bookkeeper does, like very different roles. So that's a fact, like there is a lot of you know, 
ambiguity in this whole thing. And like, there's a bunch of companies popping up. I'm pretty sure you've seen them being in that industry where they, 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 they're like a CFO in a package. And that kind of like implies that they will do all the other stuff as well. And it's, it's getting confused. At least for me, it was very confusing. I've been talking to a bunch of friends different groups and it's kind of the same and some of them like i just hire somebody i hire somebody like your company russell which is like more a full package that it's truly taking not only reporting but also perhaps some forecasting some kpis some metrics so it's not only about what happened in the past but what's going to happen next quarter right right it's a bit of looking through the rearview mirror and looking through the windshield but it's hard to look through the windshield entirely if you're not clear from where you came. And with technology evolving and cloud solutions to help make this work more efficient and effective, with processes becoming a little bit more complicated in how you like bill clients or the contracts that you you write, with the financial forecasting and modeling becoming a little bit more sophisticated, it's pretty hard to find that in a single individual that is like the unicorn that solves all my look back and look forward problems. So we bring a team of people, create redundancy and really rigorous process so that the moment, Gabriel, that this business that you acquired recently hits that inflection point of growth and goes from the one and a half to two to three to $4 million, you're not looking inward at your business and saying, oh my gosh, all my systems are breaking now, which they will. If you haven't anticipated your growth, we want to make sure that you can stay looking out the windshield. Got it. Got it. Okay. So excellent. So for people listening, go check out uh, Russell's site. And is it Stride? Is it Stride? What's the domain yeah, it's, name? It's www.stride.services. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So Thanks for asking. I, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a big pain point. So I'm glad somebody's stepping up and, and the people in the Philippines, they're very professionals. Uh, there's the software slash web agency, marketing agency. There's been a lot of high success outsourced to the Philippines. So accounting, it's definitely another field. And it looks like you guys are crushing it with that. So kudos to you guys. So before we move on to step two on the fact, so just the fact that you decide so stories could 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 have been at that point where you, you're going to buy a business stories could have been like oh well startups have this issues and like all kind of stories about like if we buy this business something go wrong this can happen but you ended up killing all those stories with some facts is there one fact in particular that you were like okay let's do it especially with your family and like what you're saying when you were talking about a, a family decision and engagement with, with the, your family team, is there, is there a fact that you say, okay, that's what made it, and then you went to step two in this process of like buying a business? Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Let me come around to answer that question and make a clear definition of stories versus fact. So here's an example. Let me put your, myself in the shoes of, say, one of your listeners that's looking to buy a business. They look at a business and they have a story that, oh my gosh, we're going to be able to sign clients and they're going to, they're going to have monthly recurring revenue and lifetime value of three years. Oh, and when I model that out, this is, oh my gosh, this is going to be an amazing business, right? Like that's a story because that hasn't happened yet, right? So, okay. 
Now, and then you might say, oh, so what are the facts? Well, the facts, the facts may be that this book of business that you're buying actually has clients that sign up for only three months and 25 of them, percent of them churn after the first month. Okay, so like that's a distinction between stories versus fact. I have a story about some future that's yet to unfold, but the facts don't necessarily support it. Or another example is, oh my gosh, this whole department is totally screwed up, right? This whole department is totally screwed up of this business that you bought. Well, is that a fact or is that a story? The fact is that this process for how we invoice clients uh, is not functioning correctly. That does not mean the entire department is totally screwed up. And so stories versus facts allows you to acknowledge that the thing that you have in your head that is usually driven by a feeling of threat, threat to your security, approval, or control is having you assign some definition to a situation that is not true. It's not grounded in facts. So before we get exercised about some future yet to unfold, let's look at the data. Look at the data. So that's really the definition of stories versus facts. So to answer your question, yeah, like we needed to be grounded in the data of our due diligence because we were telling ourselves a story right, about what we thought the business could or should do, but did the, would the data actually support it so that we could have confidence as we forecast it out that we were going to be moving in the right direction or were we, were we kidding ourselves? So stories versus facts shows up in a lot of different ways, very often between uh, partners, Inter interpersonal relationships and between empl among employees. Excellent. Yeah, I was already thinking about a few stories inside of the business that I just bought <laughs> that I can confront with a fact. So I'm definitely going to go check out the exercise. And thanks for breaking this down. I, like, I just literally had the idea of like going through these steps and hope it's, it's okay with you. Like we're going through this and cool. All right. So step two, like you talk about principles so for buying this business again four years ago. Did you set up some principles for the search process or the business acquisition or even like running business or how did that played out with, with that? If you check out www.stride.services and you scroll down on the homepage, there's a link to a page called Stride Principles and you can read about Stride Principles. And Stride, our Stride Principles lay out the code for how we conduct ourselves in the business, both with each other as well as with our clients. So our number one principle at Stride is what we call wisdom of the group. Wisdom of the group as a principle says, everybody who is impacted by a potential business decision has the ability and the invitation to become part of a discussion to determine the right solution that we wanna pursue. That doesn't mean it's a democracy, but it means every voice is heard. That's a principle. Another principle is make and honor commitments. And that if you're going to have to renegotiate a commitment, which is a due date for when something is expected, then your responsibility is to get out in front of it and proactively renegotiate the timeline because other people are going to be dependent on you. So we have 12 principles, and it's not enough 
to just have principles as you might, you, you might think of them as values, but there's a distinction that sit on a wall of your company. Our values are trust, integrity, joy, playfulness, and client care, right? Like those are our values. That usually doesn't translate into embedded actionability because those aren't like embedded into the fabric of everything that you do. Principles can be dynamic. So you can, they're living. So that make and honor commitments. Okay, cool. How does make and honor commitments apply to how we sell our service? How does make and honor commitments apply to how we implement or how we collaborate with each other on a project? Principles are the code. And the amount of work we have done to embed principles into how we conduct ourselves with our clients and with each other takes the drama and the emotion and the volatility out of issues and decision-making because you ask, hey, what's the principle that we want to apply here? Or if an issue comes up, what principle applies? And if, we're, if you and I, Gabriel, are in, are in agreement on the principles that we've come up with as an organization we're not going to be arguing about, well, my principles versus your principles. No, we have an agreed upon set of principles for how we guide our business decisions and ourselves. Excellent. And in the book, you talk more about the personal ones. So it sounds like they, they also relate to the business principles. So I'm curious if you set up those principles in general for your business ventures, or was it after you bought the business that you established that? Yeah. So we set up, so yes, Personal principles are super important because even though you bought a business recently, you are still Gabriel Murillo, comma, incorporated, right? You, you are your business. Now, you happen to buy a business, but you are your business. What are your principles for how you guide your life and your relationships with your family and your fiance and your friends? and where you get energy, and how you show gratitude, whatever it is that makes you, you. And then, yes, of course, you're bringing the best of you to your business, but your business also has a set of principles. And so there's a bit of a cascading that I would highly recommend. And definitely, at an individual level, creating your own principles will help you be a better searcher in the business that you acquire because you will evaluate a new business based on how it maps to your principles. And it might be impacted by some of the people that you meet in the business during due diligence. So let's say you meet a CEO, a, a founder of a company whose business you're going to acquire, and you sit down with them and they exhibit a certain style or personality that you're like, you know, I have a principle that I only do business with people that I, I like, regardless of the outcome. And so if I sit down with somebody, I'm like, oh, this could be a really great economic opportunity, but I don't see myself being in alignment with this person for an extended period of time. That's my principle. And I just say no. It just makes it easier to say no. And even then, it's sometimes hard to say no, but at least you have them. Yeah, absolutely. No, highly recommend. And in fact, I, I just thinking. One of the best things that I got out of the program, 
from from Walker Dybo, uh, Biden Bill. He has a, a really phenomenal book on on acquisitions. He also has uh, this group called Acquisitions Lab, and one of the main things that they help you do uh, for searchers out there that are considering joining is putting this one pager of your personal kind of professional history and whatnot, and and your target. And I was just seeing already like how cool would it be to have kind of like a short set of principles in there for the potential seller to be like, oh, this is not only a, an investor, this is a human and a potential leader that has clarity versus like all the other ones. So just the document itself that Walker recommends, it's phenomenal, highly recommend for people listening to, to try that out. But even what you're saying, Russell, like the, the principles could be, could set you apart from another, a lot of the regular searchers out there. For sure. Excellent. So uh, with that, we're step three talks about energy and environment. I'm curious, you know, like, of course, the environment before buying a business is phenomenal. It's exciting. There's all this joy. There is all this opportunity. You're surrounded by lawyers and accountants and advisors and people just cheering for you. And then in the environment then may change to like taking hard decisions and making the having difficult conversations and all of that good stuff. So I'm curious to know, like in, in your particular search process, how this whole hardness energy. Yeah. So the environment played out two pieces to, to energy. One is energy gains. And the second is energy drains or what's called entropy. And in your day to day, you will always put your available energy toward managing that which is draining your energy. It could be an employee that you're struggling with, or it could be a challenging customer, or it could be some other business or personal issue before you have available energy for growth and integration, right? So if you only say have a hundred units in a day, you're, you're going to put more of those units initially toward entropy. So what's the goal? The goal is to neutralize or eliminate the entropy that is being introduced into your life. Well, how do you do that? Well, first thing is talk about it, share it, let people around you know, wow. So let's say it's an employer, let's say it's an operations related issue. Oh, this is really draining my energy. Well, it's interesting because you may find that a partner or colleague may say, oh my gosh, that drains your energy. I love doing this stuff. And you're like, yes, great. Like what, what's energizing for you might be de-energizing for somebody else. And so just acknowledging where you get, where you get energy is super, super important. And so much of getting new energy is about surrounding yourself with the right people and in the right environments that allow you to be the best of who you are. So for this business that we acquired, we were very open with each other as partners about, hey, what area of the business gives you energy and drains your energy? And it just so happens that what gives me energy is being out in the marketplace, talking about the value proposition, inviting prospective new clients into our service, sales and growth. What, what gives my partner energy? Building the machine, process design, standardization, automation. What drains my energy? That. What drains his energy? Talking to people. Awesome. So know it and embrace it. And don't try to spend time in areas that drain your energy because you think that's what you should do. 
as a new business owner because you're not in service to yourself or to the business that you acquired. But we sometimes do it because we feel like, oh, well, that's that's what we should do. Yeah, I can absolutely relate, especially when, when you have kind of that history of performance from the previous owner. And as a new owner, you're thinking like he was not do he or she was not doing this. I should do it. And then the energy goes there versus you could just double down on like the things that do bring energy and can actually produce a significant impact and results and whatnot. So super cool. This is a very specific and random question, but in terms of the team in the Philippines, one of the things I'm talking about energy, every time I talk to, not every time, but the vast majority of times that I talk to people in the Philippines, I get a lot of energy. I think it's the attitude is just freaking awesome. They're always with a positive attitude. And sometimes when I work with people, like I work with people internationally in other places, there may be different. For example, Eastern Europe, they may be more quiet, more introverts, not necessarily too communicative. I felt less energy. So that's a personal thing. I'm just curious if you notice something out there with, with culture and people and like, you know, the team in the Philippines. Oh, I, I find our team in the Philippines and the uh, other people that I've spoken to that aren't on our team to be so appreciative and grateful for the opportunity. They are energized to just be a part of this thing that you've created and that they can be a part of it. And so there's, there's much less of this feeling of an entitlement. There's gratitude and appreciation. And that is so awesome. The flip side of that is because there's this positive energy, positive attitude is making sure that you're probing enough that they understand what it is we're trying to achieve at an outcome level versus the task. Like what's the goal versus the task and that the enthusiasm and the energy doesn't mask what might be a bit of uncertainty in execution so yes on energy and yes on making sure that you're in sync on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, awesome. Another thing I know, like the, the next step is, is more about the genius zone, but just to talk a little bit more about energy when it comes to setting goals, that's one of your principles. Your personal goal as a business owner could be like, let's double the size of this company in three years, right? Yeah. And without getting into specific, you know, it's was your deal more in like the middle seven figures or whatever you, you can share. I'm not asking specific question or whatever you want to share in terms of the size of the business, but a question really about goals and setting and, and the energy is if your goal is like, okay, we are in this level of revenue. We want to grow to whatever level that can create stress, fear, tension, or not. Best way for me to answer that is to state the following work backwards. It's okay to like set this goal of, hey, I want to climb Mount Everest. And this is what it looks like when we get to the top of Mount Everest. Before we move on to the, the last section, so step four, we're going to skip that for, for this episode. But step three, talking about setting goals as one of your principles, how does stress for growth plays out into this whole thing? Meaning the environment may change if you as a business owner are trying to double the size of the business. Um, so I'm curious to know, like, you know, if you're setting certain goals for the team to be like, okay, let's double the size of the business in three years. How are you playing with the environment, the stress and this goal setting? 
Yeah. Like I said, the best way to do this is to work backwards. So it's okay to have a mountaintop that you want to scale. Here's what it looks like when we get to the top of Mount Everest, doubling the business in a year, two years. Okay. Now let's break it down. Let's go through the process of the exercise of understanding what are all the obstacles that we may face in trying to double the size of the business? Why would those be obstacles to us? What are the solutions to those obstacles? How do we prioritize those solutions? How are we going to resource to increase the probability that we can overcome the root cause of that obstacle? That is when things start to get actionable because you can't control whether or not you get to the top of Mount Everest. And we know this in objectively that you can't control, those climbers can't control whether or not they get to the top of Mount Everest, but a lot of them try. What they can control is did they prepare physically? Did they have the right equipment? Did they pull the right team together? Did they focus on the right things? And you may just get to the top of Mount Everest, but Mount Everest is an output. What we want to do with a team is focus on the inputs. What is it that we can control that we believe will increase the probability of success? That is what helps you overcome the fear because you've broken this elephant down one bite at a time, small enough segments that you can execute and act on it, and you may just get to the top of Mount Everest. You may not, but confident that you've spent the requisite time thinking and working on the plan to get you there. I think people's fear comes in when they say, oh, let's double the business in three years. Great. People then run around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to figure out how they're going to do that. Don't do the hard thinking and planning up front and then live in a state of consistent fear and uncertainty. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. Well, as we are wrapping up, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, next two steps from the books are get in and stay in your genius zone. The last one is take action. So uh, for people listening, yeah, just again, check out the book, download it. And Russell, you've been amazing and walking us through and you're patient with the internet. We just got cut out and whatnot. But um, before we wrap up, any words of advice for people on that step of taking action for searchers? are dabbling with this perhaps some of them you know been searching for a business for a year two years three years i haven't talked to anybody yet for three years but a lot of them are between a year two years what would be your your final advice for people and taking action yeah so we talk about some of the components of action in the book so one is action is having a plan so executing a plan focusing on the inputs really thinking of your search process like a machine you're trying to create some standardization around how you generate opportunities and systematically evaluate them as if you are building a machine, number one. Number two is action is courage. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared. Like we're scared, like what's gonna happen? And then we have a choice. We can either let fear drive us to retreat or we can be courageous and take a leap knowing, like I'm sure has happened to everybody who's listening to this, you've always figured it out. You'll always figure it out. And can you have the courage to look into the unknown and say, I do not know what is at the bottom of this when I jump, but I'm pretty confident I'll figure it out. So action is courage. Action is also patience. 
And it's being willing to restrain yourself from the anxiety of feeling like you need to produce as measured by transacting, as measured by getting a deal done, that you are hasty in your action that isn't fully fully thought through or fully vetted because you just really want to get going. And so I want to I want to implore everybody and this is a good reminder to myself too that patience is also a form of action. It's a form of discipline in pursuit of the journey and don't beat yourself up for being patient. In many ways, applaud yourself for the discipline to know that you're going to be ready when the right opportunity comes along that meets your criteria, much of which is what aligns with the life that I am endeavoring to design. Love it. Phenomenal. It's been super awesome to get to hear more about you, Russell, and again, the book. You have done a phenomenal job on simplifying a lot of these complex things. So thank you for uh, taking the time today to share with us to wrap up stride.services one life to lead is the book on kindle anything else you would like to share with the audience no i'm pretty easy easy to find so if i can be helpful reach out absolutely russell thank you so much and i'm looking forward to connecting further okay so great to spend time with you thanks gabriel thank you